Welcome to Zero Knowledge, a podcast where we explore the latest in blockchain technology and the decentralized web. The show is hosted by me, Anna, and me, Frederick. In this episode, we sit down with Zach Williamson to talk about zero knowledge tools, range proofs, the Aztec protocol, and the development of zero knowledge standards. Before we start, we want to say thank you to this week's sponsor, Neufund. Neufund is building an ERC-20 compatible, open source technical environment, which enables the tokenization of real world assets. Assets like equity in a company or real estate. Neufund does this by implementing different basic protocols that bind off-chain assets with their on-chain representations. They are currently looking for a QA lead to help them test their dApps, backend, and smart contracts. If you're interested, check out the job offer at neufund.org slash careers, or review Neufund's GitHub at github.com slash Neufund. All links will be in the show notes. So thank you again, Neufund. And now, here's our interview with Zach from Aztec. So this week, we're sitting down with Zach from Aztec Protocol, and we're going to be talking a little bit about what they're working on and a lot of ZK stuff. So welcome to the show, Zach. Hi there. Thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. And as always, we have Frederick. Hello. We always start with a quick intro from our guests. Um, But I saw this comment on Twitter that sort of said, why does everybody always start with just like, please introduce yourself, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of, I felt that. And so actually this time I want to try something. Please do introduce yourself, but also maybe just give us a little bit of insight into what inspired you to get into this. Okay, sure thing. So hi everyone, I'm Zach and I am the CTO of Aztec, uh, the Asset Protocol, and we are a privacy provider for Ethereum, uh, where we allow our tools and technology can be used to create private representations of existing public digital tokens. As for what really inspired me to get into this, laziness, to be honest, <laughs> pure, pure indolent laziness, um, to, 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 to tell the honest truth. Originally, uh, I was working on building a um, syndicated loan platform for Ethereum using smart contracts to, to create financial instruments. And we needed privacy for our product to work, and we weren't going to get it because there wasn't an existing privacy solution for Ethereum or other kind of Turing complete public blockchains. And when I realized this, I started digging around into um, Zcash, ZK Snarks, uh, and how to uh, looking at the kind of work that would be required to bring ZK Snarks to Ethereum. Because at the time, things like Socrates were um, the, the, they were just very um, in the in the very early stages. I have to be honest, um, like when I when I first started digging into Zcash into the tech and started reading the papers, I thought, my God. There must be a simpler way of doing this. Um, because effectively what we were trying to do, um, was prove extremely simple statements in zero knowledge. Things like, you know, the sum of the inputs equals the sum of the outputs. Um, like I know a secret and the secret is plus another secret is equal to like 10. Really, really, really simple statements. And so the kind of the general purpose solution provided by ZK Snox felt like crack, cracking it up with a sledgehammer. Um, and I, I, yeah. And so I started digging into the, the tech behind this, looking at the, the homomorphic arithmetic and range proofs and all of that jazz, and realized that there was probably a, a kind of um, a somewhat simpler solution specifically for this problem we were trying to solve. So you, you started at almost like a higher level of trying to solve general financial instruments 
application mm -hmm. stuff and then dug into the privacy parts have you gone back up to the financial instruments now like or are you still at the privacy like where are you and where do you want to be of course when i started putting together the zero was proof proving tech that we needed for our syndicate limb platform really the overriding thought was wow this stuff is really cool <laughs> uh this um and that a lot this is a lot more valuable than just what we wanted to use it for so we as a, as a, as a startup we have pivoted to basically providing a privacy solution that will enable other other developers other companies institutions to basically build what we were trying to build at uh, the time was it was called credit mint what's um, it, what was it called credit mint credit mint credit mint okay but yeah we done we done a little bit of a pivot for to propagate our privacy solution but we have kind of climbed back up the stack and so the we're putting together tooling xenology like um, proof construction and smart contract verification engines that focus very specifically around private transaction settlement um, and trades of different private assets between counterparties. Okay, so let's find out what Aztec Protocol really is. So yes. this is the project that you've been working on for how long? I've been working on kind of privacy tech since the start of 2018. So it's been, it's been well over a year, a year now. And when did um, Aztec start? Aztec really got off the ground uh, in November last year. That's when we published our proof of concept um, of the ESSEC protocol and um, created a private um, version of uh, the DICE stablecoin on Ethereum mainnet and, and traded it around and, and actually launched ESSEC and announced that, hey, this is now a thing that can happen. When I um, was looking at Aztec, the question that first came up for me was, how does this differ? Like, how is Aztec using ZK for privacy different from something like Socrates? So at the most fundamental level, Aztec, the ESSEC protocol is not um, based on AZK SNAP. Uh, it uses a very a, a different kind of um, zero-knowledge proof uh, that does utilize bilinear pairings like a SNAP, but fundamentally is constructed in a very different way. Um, and what this enables is effectively, it's a lot closer to a bulletproof type system than a SNAP type system in that you have a way of uh, proving that a commitment is bounded within a range, and then you can use traditional homomorphic arithmetic focusing around things like sigma protocols um, to create algebraic statements involving these proofs, where the kind of the algebra you're, you're, you're validating is like directly expressed in the exponent of an elliptic curve instead of having instead of reducing turning your uh, like say, turning a, a program or series of statements uh, into a polynomial equation and then proving that you know a satisfying assignment to that polynomial. Um, it's a it's a kind of a, it is a, a simpler form of tech. Sorry, do you mind if I might take a step back, actually, to really answer that question? Because I approached this maybe from the opposite ends of things, which was, what do I want this thing to do? Uh, and what's the most efficient way of getting there? And what we wanted to do was create a, a kind of a private um, token standard, a private a way, a method of representing value confidentially, where users had agency over the, the specific semantics of these confidential transactions so that if you if you're building a private asset that has for example edge cases like say maybe you're building a decentralized exchange you have a minimum trade threshold so you can't you know you can't have frivolous bids or you're building a private security token and you need to prove that every trader has less than 10 percent of the total supply for regulatory reasons you need that flexibility but it cannot come at the cost of compatibility and interoperability because, for example, with a traditional ZK snark, at least before Sonic came along, um, if you were coding up the kind of the, trans the, the semantics of, comp of a private transaction, 
inside a ZK snark for a set of private assets, none of them would really be able to communicate with one another because they would none of them could trust that each other's setups would perform correctly. Um, and this would be a nightmare of buildings, for example, for example, the general knowledge DAP, which interfaces with these tokens. And so we needed all of our private asset, all private assets using our protocol to use the, the same uh, common reference string, the same, like, so it's basically requiring the general to perform trusted setups so that we can create a, a standard that everyone can perform to. But that standard still needed flexibility for these edge cases. And so with Aztec, what we do is we use Bolinia pairings um, and our kind of um, Aztec commitment function, which I can go into to, do, to perform an extremely efficient range proof. And then what we can do on top of that is create modular signal protocols, basically specific discrete zero-knowledge proofs that perform discrete bits of business logic, um, like, a, for example, like a dividend proof to prove that one value is a percentage of another, or a, a join split proof. So you have some input notes and some output notes and you prove that the encrypted values of the sum, like the, the sum of the inputs equals the sum of the outputs. And what a user or developer or builder can do is they can, when they're building a private asset, they can effectively like take these off-the-shelf proofs and kind of um, fit them together in a modular fashion to create more, a more expressive statements validated in zero knowledge. Are these, are these like, I mean, are you building libraries? Or are you building, what are, what are they? A very good question. So we, we're building, um, at the smart contract level, we're building this thing called the cryptography engine, which validates the family of ASTIC proofs. So at the moment we have five, but we'll, we'll have a lot more over time. Um, and we're building some uh, libraries, yes, that people can um, install their client side at the moment. Um, but we're building like building out server side solutions as well that construct the required proofs. So the end goal for all of this is that um, if you're putting together a private, some private um, uh, asset or some some service, uh, you can use a library to go, hey, I want to like uh, make me a joint split proof or make me a dividend proof or like you know, I um, uh, there's a minimum change threshold, so I want a range proof. In the same way that you can very easily and efficiently make easy DSA signatures using a library without having to know the actual like mechanics of how an easy DSA signature works. We want our stuff to be um, intuitive to the point where you don't need to be literate in zero knowledge cryptography to use it. And yeah, we're, so we're building out our, our standard library um, to enable that. I wanted to dig into more of the range proofs and, and what these proofs actually are. So you mentioned these are range proofs. It's sort of similar to bullet proofs, but um, as far as I know, I, I think bulletproofs are range proofs as well, right? Yes. Um, yeah. yeah the, so yeah, um, you can you can use bulletproofs for uh, arbitrary computation, but their main application is range proofs. So my question is like, what are range proofs um, mm -hmm. mathematically? And then I'm also curious, like, do you consider what you're doing to be research? Are you inventing new methodologies, or is it engineering? Like, are you taking known mathematical constructs and creating code around them? Really, it's both. It's this nexus of um, cryptography research and software engineering. Using um, cryptography as, to solve um, the problems that software engineering throws up. When it comes to the range proof, it is new research. It wasn't something that I took off the shelf because there wasn't really anything off the shelf I could take for the solution because um, we needed something that was much more succinct than than existed um, unless you like that didn't involve using the ZK snark. Um, at the time, I really, I really, really wanted something that used the same the common reference string for multiple proofs, and snarks couldn't do that. Um, the way it started was um, I started tinkering around with looking at um, like digesting cryptography papers, kind of stalking the halls of Google Scholar and uh, shaking down crypto papers for loose bits of uh, 
tech and IP that I could use. Um, and I, in a March, I came up with what I thought was a, um, a very efficient and succinct range proof. Um, and I got put in touch with, uh, Jens Groth, who at the time was in, uh, at UCL. Uh, and I went to him and was like, and I'm like, Hey, Jens, I've got this great range proof and it's succinct and efficient. And what do you think? And he was like, Mm, no, 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 it's not work. It doesn't work. It's got a problem. And yeah, looking back at it, I had an amateurish security flaw. Um, but, uh, I, I, uh, so I, I, I went back, beavered away at it and then came back again. I'm like, okay, right, right. Okay. Second time. What about this? And he was like, mm, no. Uh, <laughs> so that was fun. Um, basically at that point, we'd, um, so Jens agreed to join us as an advisor for our company. And I came up with him for a third time. Um, after iterating the paper, and I'm like, okay, what about this version? And he was like, eh, okay, maybe, but you need to, you need, to, you need, a, you need a bit of sound this group. And then that that was kind of the start of a very an iterative process where I worked with the ends to, to um, really like um, refine this paper, the, the asset paper, um, and bring it up to the kind of standards required to formally prove this, like it, it's completeness and soundness, and um, kind of um, ordinance verifier zero knowledge properties and so yes basically this is new research um it takes stuff that did exist in some form um like it's a special case of a polynomial commitment scheme these stuff has existed for a while we combine range proofs with a commitment scheme um which hasn't to my knowledge really been done before in this way where effectively we create what's like um something which is quite similar to a pedison commitment but the difference is with an asset commitment if you want to prove that you know an opening to an asset commitment, so you want to create a general proof saying, I, I, here's, here's an Aztec knows, I know what it's worth, but I'm not going to tell you what it's worth. That proof is basically the same as proving you know an opening to a better commitment with a very, very tiny modification, which means that by being able to present that kind of proof, you, imp- it is, it is implicit that you know, uh, that, that, that the integer that you're, um, that's in the note is constrained within a range. Well, I just, I wonder, have we explained exactly what an efficient range proof is like okay so what about range proofs why are range proofs a thing why they're needed what the hell is a range proof um when it comes to private transactions and being able to prove that you um the validity of a private transfer range proofs are extraordinarily important to prevent prevent double spending so what they do is they enable somebody to um, present an encrypted number to a verifier and prove that Whatever that number is, it's um, within a, a, a given defined range. The, the 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 very basic example would be like, for example, um, imagine you need to prove your your age. Imagine you need to prove you're over eighteen, but you don't want to reveal to the verifier um, precisely how old you are. Um, that kind of stuff. The reason why it's really important for private transactions is because private transaction systems, confidential transaction systems, use something called homomorphic. Um, arithmetic, which I imagine has come up a lot <laughs> on your on your podcast, being able to um, evaluate mathematical statements over encrypted variables as if they weren't encrypted. You can use elliptic curve cryptography to do this. But one of the problems with this is that the arithmetic that you're evaluating, it's not over normal numbers. It's over integers that are modulo um, a large prime number. Um, so in this weird realm of homomorphic arithmetic, minus one isn't actually minus one. Minus one is um, uh, basically it's it's actually an extremely large positive number. So if if the if the homomorphism was all modulus seven, then minus one would be six. Um, and this is a huge problem because um, it means it means it makes double spending if you don't account for it very very easy because 
Um, for example, imagine I want to prove that if I have a transaction where um, I have uh, I'm se I'm sending you some 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 value. So imagine I'm sending you some private die. I have ten private die and I want to send you five. Um, normally, I would create a net worth five and give you a net worth five, and then my outputs equal my inputs. But now imagine imagine my inputs are worth zero, and I give you a die note worth one, and I retain a die note worth minus one. Obviously, minus one plus one is zero. But in a well, in the world of homomorphic arithmetic, what I've done is I've actually just created a note that has an extremely large positive number. I basically created more value than exists in the observable universe, which is a huge problem for a crypto system. Um, and range proof solved this. Um, it, it deals with the fundamental problem uh, that uh, you cannot tell the difference between a positive and a negative number in in a, in a homomorphic um, crypto system, like uh, on the, the other ones created over elliptic curves. And so range proofs are used to completely remove the possibility of negative numbers creeping into your um, into your crypto system. What's so? There's like a family of range proofs, I guess. And you mentioned one, bulletproofs. Is there are there other sort of projects or concepts that we might have heard of that are also considered range proofs? So there, there are a lot out there, um, and I wouldn't be able to give a full account of all of them because my knowledge isn't complete. Um, so ZK Snarks, most of them um, contain range proofs within them at some, so um, at, at, at some level. Uh, so for example, Zcashers um, joins fetch transactions. Um, they also implicitly require you want to issue one of these ZK snark proofs in, inside the snark circuit. You're implicitly providing a range proof. Um, there's bulletproofs. There's also, I don't know, I don't, I'm not sure why it's called this, but there's, in the literature it's called the folklore bit commitment scheme. It sounds like a, it's because nobody, <laughs> nobody can find a reference to, to the original um, bit commitment scheme because it's so old. Um, you know, it's weaved into the oral tradition in history of zero knowledge cryptography. Um, wow. <laughs> Uh, so the one, I, feel, I feel like I should get like a like a like a um, like a Lutheran accordion and start strumming some some folky tune when I'm talking about the folklore bit commitment scheme. But basically, it's a way of <laughs> wouldn't um, wouldn't be out of character for the ZK community. Wizard hats, I know. <laughs> Lutes, I'm sure it's all good. It's a weird, it's a, it's a strange crowd, isn't it? It's a great crowd. Um, in the folklore bit commitment scheme, basically, you you just you provide um, encrypted representation of every single bit in your number. And you prove that your each encrypted bit is either zero or one, and then you can you know, combine them all together to create your actual number. Um, that's traditionally how it's done. Um, that's not it's not very efficient, um, and the proofs require are huge because if you want to prove a thirty-two bit number, you need thirty-two individual discrete zero knowledge proofs with all of their inputs, um, and like, you can get proofs that there's you know dozens of kilobytes large, um, and the verify computation is extremely intensive. Um, bulletproofs improve on this massively. Um, massively, massively, massively. Uh, it's a, it, um, and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an absolutely amazing system where you can use, um, it basically takes a traditional focal bit scheme and compresses it down. So the size of the proof, um, is logarithmic with the number of bits in your number. Um, and it does this through a kind of proof recursion. So instead of proving that you know an opening to each and every single bit, you prove that you know, um, Basically, um, an opening to that the, the opening before was correct, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you have a vector of bit commitments. So, at the core of bulletproofs, this is kind of um, vector um, product proof, where you can take the product of two vectors and prove you know a, a given commitment is an opening to this vector product, and that proof is logarithmic in the actual length of the vector, which is an, an enormous improvement. Got it. So, what is Aztec doing differently then? So, what Aztec does differently is it uses at the moment what is really a unique. Range proof and a unique 
encryption method of encryption to create extremely short zero knowledge proofs um, that focus very specifically around private transactions and settlements of private trades and private transactions. It uses the range proof to make these proofs very efficient, um, and it uses the fact that we don't we only need one trusted setup to create a, a large set of proofs. The, the fundamental goal of Aztec is um, to present a solution to developers, uh, builders, uh, companies um, that enables them to create private digital assets without them having to know any a lick of zero cryptography. So in that in that way, it's kind of it's a little bit similar to what Zelkrity is trying to do, but we're approaching it from an, a very different angle. Which is instead of giving people the tools to build their own zero knowledge proofs, we're giving people the zero knowledge proofs that they need to build their what like to solve their own solve their problems. What how um, how small are are you know small proofs? And when you say that they're efficient, do you mean size or like uh, proof generation time or verification time or all of it? Right. So um, to to answer that question, um, it, it's a bit. <laughs> it's complicated because um, the range proof is extraordinarily succinct and short. And then the, the, the kind of general logic that we, we use this range proofs for, um, that stuff is linear in terms of its proof size and the amount of verification time required and proving the proof time required. However, the kind of the constant like um, multiplicative factor in, this, in, that linear, in that linear relationship is extremely, extremely small. So the range proof in terms of proof size, I believe at last, the last count is about 700 bytes for traditional, like a typical join split transaction with two input notes and two output notes. It does vary though, uh, quite substantially. Um, because I mean, if you're, if you're sending the proof to a smart contract, there's auxiliary information not relating to the proof, but you need, you still need that information for like on, for Ethereum. So does that count as a proof size? Also, when we send these transactions to Ethereum, we don't compress the elliptic curve data. With a traditional zero knowledge proof, when you're constructing your proof transcript, you, uh, you can represent an elliptic curve point with half the data that you actually need because on an elliptic curve, you can represent the y coordinate as a single bit because, um, the x coordinate, any given x coordinate will only result to two elliptic curve points and you can differentiate them with a single bit. Uh, but on Ethereum, we don't compress elliptic curve points because the amount of gas required to decompress the points, uh, is more than the amount of gas required to actually just send the uncompressed points in as input data. So that increases our proof size, but it's not like we we could make smaller proofs if we if we had a, a like a, a blockchain platform where computation was cheaper. Um, like we could get our proof size about five five hundred bytes or less. Um, it's 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 they're generally a little bit larger than a Groth style um, zk snark proof. When it comes to proof construction, that's one of the real key strengths of Aztec. Is proof construction is trivial. Because you don't, you're not performing this, um, pol- like this reductive, this, um, you're, you're not taking a rank one constraint system and then creating a satisfying polynomial. You're not solving to be like one million degree polynomials. You're, um, just creating these reasonable particular protocols where the range proof, that's the really, the hard part is basically taken care of because you just, you use a lookup table really, um, to select an element from our common reference string and, uh, if you didn't have that lookup table, like the amount of competition we need to be quite large. Um, in a way, I believe with a full with a full version of our protocol, it's, it's accurate to say that both proof construction and proof verification has a level of succinctness to both sides of it because because of the fact that we basically trade computation for storage um, by with these pre-computed tables. So you have this system that can efficiently prove things. You have the theory of you know uh, private transactions. 
on Ethereum. But how do you go from that theory to actually having a working system? There, there's obviously engineering challenges along the way there. Uh, what does that look like? Yes, thank you. That's a really good question. Um, there are immense challenges. Um, and this was the topic of a, a talk that I was giving at the uh, fantastic uh, Zero Knowledge Summit that, that, that uh, y- y- you were hosting uh, last month in Berlin. My word, there are some challenges. Um, what we're doing is we're enabling other people to build private assets on top of Ethereum. So that adds an enormous extra diff- level of difficulty with traditional zero knowledge proving tech because, well, how do people normally interface with Ethereum dApps and applications? Through a web browser or through something on their phone. Um, but typically right now it's the web browser, which means that if you require zero knowledge technology, it needs to be able to be performed inside a browser. Um, using WebAssembly. And that then means that the proof construction has to be extremely efficient. Um, because you, you take like a traditional ZK snark proof with a large number of constraints. Um, like it's difficult for some of these proofs to perform them on just like uh, optimized code compiled down to for, for a computer processor. Um, running that in WebAssembly adds an extra complication. Um, but more, more to the point, it presents enormous, enormous UX challenges because Interfacing with a blockchain is already quite difficult from a UX perspective. You know, you have private keys and accounts and weird hexadecimal strings flying around. Um, and then you need, like, maybe you need to build some kind of custodianship solution so your customers don't need to know what the private keys are. Uh, you need to connect with Ethereum nodes and broadcast your transactions and create digital signatures. It's already really difficult. And then on top of that, our users are going to ask the required their users to build to construct zero knowledge proofs and we, we can't even expect our users to really understand the proofs that they're going to be asking their users to construct. This presents some enormous UX challenges. And so what we are doing is tr- abstracting away pretty much all of the zero knowledge. Um, that's the goal. Um, it's still a work in progress with our tooling, but the, the goal is to create a standard library, a JavaScript library you can plug into a browser um, that where you, you have very simple API calls to make the required zero knowledge proofs. Um, and ideally this, this also includes things like MetaMask integrations and typical traditional integrations. At a high level, what's really needed here are standards. Um, when some, when a developer or builder is building ASIC, they need to know what our zone proofs do. They don't need to know how it happens, but they need to know what it, they do. The inputs that they, they, they need and the outputs that are to be expected. You're, you're building a system that's for Ethereum and you're building these libraries, the JavaScript side and everything else. But you're still you're still only targeting Ethereum. You're not like we had Matter Labs on recently, and they're planning on building this whole separate network yeah. that deals with all, all, all the things that are doing like proof generation off chain and and et cetera, et cetera. You you don't yeah. have like that off chain component, right? It's like you're you're trying to do everything on chain. Precisely. Yeah, we're not we're, at the moment. We're not really targeting scaling solutions. We we're very much focusing on how do you get uh, how do you represent value privately on-chain at the layer one mainnet uh, level um, because we think that's very valuable and very needed um, for a lot of applications in blockchain. Because our tech is designed to be used by people building on Ethereum, we want to make the absolute bare minimum um, requirements or expectations on them. So we don't want them to have to be able to run um, uh, some kind of parallel auxiliary network or sidechain, and we don't want them to have to get their users to install clients uh, just for Aztec. Um, and we have a lot of freedom to do that because we're not doing scanning, we're doing privacy. Uh, and we do have the, res- the tech to do this all mainnet via smart contracts because of our relatively succinct yeah, proof construction and verification. 
the question of standards comes up a lot in uh, all sorts of fields, but in zero knowledge, I know that there's like even a meeting, I think that just happened all about standards, right? What's your what's your take on that? Like, are you participating in sort of these standards talks? That's a really good question. Um, I, yes, I, I was at that uh, zero knowledge um, standards workshop um, that was in uh, Berkeley uh, just just last week. I'm still recovering from the jet lag from it, and um, it was a fantastic <laughs> workshop. And, and there was an enormous like fusion of ideas um, between a lot of different groups. Um, the, the, I think the, one of the greatest takeaways from it was yes. We, we need standards for zoological cryptography, but there's, there's not a lot of consensus around what the standards should be. Um, and right now we're proposing Ethereum specific standards. Um, when our own technology is more, more mature, um, we like to convert those into more, more formal, um, standards, um, that don't just apply to the Ethereum blockchain. Um, but right now there is, there is no uniformity uh, at all, which is a, which is an issue. Back to that event. So, like, hmm. what it, when they when you talk about standards in that context, are they academic standards? Like, what is it only for blockchain? Like, what conversation is that even about? We've actually never really talked about this on the podcast, and I know it's a topic I'd like actually like to dig into. Just when when you're talking about a sort of combo academic, corporate projects, open source ideas, where are the standards? Where do they live, and what are they for? So it's it's again it's kind of complicated because uh, there's no there's no consensus around what a standard is um, in this field or at least I mean you, you ask ten people you get ten different responses. Um, it was more at an academic level than like an application specific level because a, a lot of people there a lot of different teams that are all using similar technologies but for very different purposes. Um, so to give an example of some standards that I proposed, for example, um, a standard for um, composing and transmitting rank one constraint systems that are required for ZK snark um, ZK snark proofs so that you can have multiple languages and compilers for ZK snarks that all can create these uh, this they compile to the same rank one constraint system format that you can then convert into proofs across multiple different elliptic curves. Uh, and another exercise for example is um, right now the community is deriving a lot of new elliptic curves which is quite quite a new development because um there's an enormous demand and desire to perform elliptic curve cryptographic operations inside of a ZK snark circuit. And if you want to do that, you need to very specifically choose the parameters of the elliptic curve that you're doing your arithmetic on, um, to the point where the existing NIST curves, none of them are suitable. Um, and so people are deriving their own curves. And so there was a, stand, a workshop on, well, hey, can we, can we formulate some standards around how to derive elliptic curves for ZK snarks? Because it's not easy. You can, you can, you can, it's very easy to get that completely wrong and basically just make a completely insecure curve because you've chosen your parameters poorly. Um, and so it stands around that. Um, and that was kind of the, those are the kind of the, the narratives at that conference, much more at a high level. Um, so given that you are actually focused very much on bringing privacy to Ethereum, uh, you're working within the Ethereum sort of standards hmm. framework. Um, tell me a little bit about ERC-17... ERC one seven two four, or is it ERC one seven two three? Because so somebody both, fed me both of these. Um, no, it's both, and I'm amazed. I'm amazed you knew the numbers because uh, I, I myself had forgotten them. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a it's a shame. It's a shame all the other ones were taken. Uh, so ERC seventeen twenty three is a standard for our cryptography engine, and ERC seventeen twenty four is a confidential token standard that uses the cryptography engine standard. Um, and so 
yeah, when it came to these standards, um, well, when I when I was putting together, I was taking November and December. I, I was realizing, well, hey, I'm kind of having we're coming to having to answer a lot of questions that have not really been asked before, which is like things like how, how do you actually do confidential trades of different assets and getting them all to like to, to resolve um, neatly? Because uh, every, a lot of a lot of tech has been focused on unilateral value transfers, not bilateral tra- value transfers. How do I, if I want to, if I, I, have, I have a proof, um, so we haven't fully implemented it yet, but I have a proof, for example, for partial order filling. So you have an order maker and you have a set of order takers that don't entirely fill the order, but do, but mostly do. Um, like, and there's general proof that guarantees that the like the trades are fair and everything has um, been executed correctly privately, but. Like, how does that get integrated into a standard? How do I how do we create a systematic way of, of introducing these kind of modular composable zero-knowledge proofs uh, in, in, into a system that, that developers can use and integrate with and can understand? And so ERC-1723 is our solution to that. It's our cryptography engine. Effectively, what it does is it abstracts away proof verification and takes it out of the hands of the individual like smart contract developer builder um, mm-hmm. so that they don't have to deal with it um i mean there's a lot of other reasons why we do that i'll get into them in a bit but basically it's a suite of smart contracts that live on chain that act as the kind of ultimate arbiter of the correctness of a zero knowledge proof um and specifically in our case the correctness of aztec zero knowledge proofs but the standard is more, is more generic um, than that so um this is really useful for a lot of reasons the first one obviously is that you can completely abstract away the, the proof verification from the digital asset smart contract to the point where for example we categorize proofs by identifiers um, and the, the, we have like at the moment five proofs. They all perform this is logic. But when it comes to actually verifying these proofs at the digital asset level, you're just saying, "Hey, I have a proof with an ID of you know like seven. Validate this proof, please." And so um, you can have a very simple interface that um, accommodates a, a large and ever increasing number of zero-knowledge proofs of all different like different things without it being uh, inconsistent with kind of what the digital asset is trying to achieve. So are you guys, are you doing that with other people? Is that like a, is it just an Aztec proposal or, I mean, there's some other teams working on ZK stuff on Ethereum, so. Yeah, so there are other teams working on ZK stuff, but it's it's very early days. Most of the other teams, they aren't dealing with privacy, they're dealing with scaling solutions. So for example, Barry White has Rollup and the Metal Labs team. When it comes to private transactions, other than like hackathon projects and um, the, odd, the odd thing here and there, I can't really think off the top of my head of a team that's specifically focusing on projects. I guess maybe the Zeta guys, but I think they're more academic at this uh, at this stage. I mean we'd love more cooperation at the zero knowledge tech level. It's just that we've kind of been kind of screaming into the screaming to the ether of them. There's not a lot of people to get meaningful feedback on the cryptography front from the Ethereum community. Um not that there is not that there is any expertise there. It's just that everyone's focusing on their own stuff and right now privacy is not the focus of a lot of people is scaling, yeah. Um yeah, there's also been a wave of privacy, like private transactions, like Parity has built in mm. private transactions, but it's off chain private transactions. And that was the path that a lot of people were going for a long while is, is not use their knowledge proofs at all. Mm. But, you know, I, I know my endpoint, like I know the pair that I'm talking to, and I might communicate on chain of like, how do I connect to you? Mm. But then do your transactions off chain and you just commit an encrypted state on chain. So you have private transactions, but in a completely different way. Yeah. So it doesn't really relate to what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. And um, I think it's kind of different, different, different technologies, different kinds of solutions. 
as it was very much focusing on kind of the, the kind of the have your cake and eat it model, uh, yeah. where you, you want to enjoy the consensus benefits mm. of a public blockchain. Yeah. I'm curious, like when you were working on these ERC processes, uh, or like ERC standards, and generally in, in working in your products, how much do you think about the core level protocol? Like it did, I mean, at some point you must've gone, uh, if only this thing existed, this other thing would have been so much easier and I wouldn't have, have to de deal with all of this stuff. Like what on the core level would, do you wish was different? So at the core protocol level of Ethereum. Yeah. Um, gee, there, there's, yes. Uh, I mean, you ask any Ethereum on Ethereum, they'll have a massive laundry list um, of things they would like to change. Um, and, and we're no exception to that. Um, but I do want to, to kind of preface this with um, what I think Ethereum has been accomplished is actually is quite significant in that because it allows you, like the fundamental goal of Ethereum really was its creators, you know, they realized they didn't understand, they could not define the potential use cases that people wanted a blockchain for. And so by creating the spot contract language, they allow other people to decide how they can add value. And that, that we're trying, really trying to kind of follow in this underlying kind of philosophy by giving people the tools that they need to build their own zero knowledge assets instead mm. of doing it for them. Ethereum was not really designed to validate zero knowledge cryptographic protocols. Uh, it was designed to do relatively simple things like um, transfer around ERC20 tokens. And so the its virtual machine um, is quite inefficient when it comes to actually validating, like performing the mathematics required to, to validate a zero knowledge proof. And because it's inefficient and you can only process so many transactions a second, um, it means that the, the concrete cryptocurrency cost, the gas cost, of validating zoological cryptography is extremely high. This has been improved recently with the addition of these kind of these pre-compile smart contracts. Um, they're like extensions to the Ethereum virtual machine, so you can perform elliptic curve cryptography mm -hmm. on very specific curves, but it's still extremely expensive because uh, the implementations originally they weren't particularly efficient because they were focusing more on the security side of things than speed. But basically, the the takeaway from this is the the amount of computations that an Ethereum node is performing to validate an ASIC knowledge proof is roughly 10 times more than is actually required just because of the inefficiencies of the of both the smart contract platform and the pre-compiled smart contracts. And so, I mean, I guess two things. One is um, there's there's a movement in the works to add some more pre-compiles to Ethereum, that, which enable you to, to perform elliptic curve um, arithmetic over a much wider range of elliptic curves, which would be extremely useful for our tech as well as reducing the gas costs because reducing the computational complexity, which would also be useful for Aztec. We're also very interested in the kind of Ethereum 1.x uh, proposals to to improve the Ethereum virtual machine and make it a little bit faster um, to run programs and perform mathematical operations um, because that again would help us. We actually have a smart contract that performs the majority of the arithmetic required to validate our knowledge proofs, so we don't need the pre-compiles. Uh, in fact, the smart contract is cheaper than the pre-compiles, even though it's written as a smart contract. And so actually improving the interpretation layer would also enable us to do more cool and innovative zoonological cryptography. So why why would you want the pre-compiles, the like more options for pre-compiles if you have a smart contract that's actually faster? I mean, we'd like more options that are, that are faster as well. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, also things like the, our smart contract, it performs arithmetic over the BN128. I don't know what that's called. It. BN128, BN256, BN254. I've heard it called all sorts of different names, but Zcash is old curve. It performs arithmetic on that curve. We very much like access. It was kind, kind of ironic that that curve was added for Zcash interoperability <laughs> and then Zcash changed it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I heard about that. Yeah. 
it's ironic, isn't it? Because like uh, Zcash aren't using that curve, and now we're using Zcash's curve to do a completely different kind of zero tech and zero streaming tech, and, and a lot of other people in, in the same boat. Um, even the Zeta paper that does bulletproofs, the whole one, the whole thing about bulletproofs is they don't need to trust the setup, and so they can use more secure, and they don't require binary pairing, so they can use more secure curves, but they have to use this BM one two eight curve on Ethereum if they want it because of the precompiles. What was that paper you just mentioned? Zether. Zether. Okay. Yes. I have a question about like. You mentioned it for a second. You mentioned Aztec users. Mm. And I still, I'm curious, like, who are the Aztec users? Are they DAP developers? Who uses Aztec? So the Aztec users are not uh, retail consumers. They are DAP developers and companies building DAPs and um, smart contract systems on Ethereum. So how do you, like, how do you actually see, like, we follow a lot of the zero-knowledge stuff going on, a lot of the zero-knowledge stuff on Ethereum as well. And so what, how do you see that developing? If I do my job, if, I, if, I, if ASIC fulfills its, what it, its mandate and does what it sets up to do, then I cannot answer that question because the people who will be answering that question will be the people using ASIC and using other zero-knowledge technology because the fundamental, I think the fundamental challenge of this industry, industry right now is access. Um, instead of having this kind of, the high priest of cryptography deciding what the problems are and then providing solutions for those problems. Right now, that's kind of how it has to happen because it's so complicated and so abstract and so difficult. But we really want to move towards a world where we're giving the tools and technology to users and developers so they can solve their own problems using zero knowledge tech and we don't have to decide what they are. And so, um, basically, I, I think that how we've been, what we're going to see in a few years is an enormously, a much larger set of people using zero knowledge tech technology and zero knowledge tools. Ultimately, a subset of those users won't even know that they're using zero-knowledge technology and zero-knowledge tools because it'll be abstracted away, but they'll be still have the kind of the ability to use this tech to, to actually define their own, like solve their own problems. Um, and so how do I see it developing? I want to see um, a lot of people using zero-knowledge tech. I'm not entirely sure how they're going to use it, to be honest. Um, and if people are using zero-knowledge tech exactly the way that I that I prescribe and how I how I see the world, then then I'm not I failed because I've not provided um, the access that I seek to provide because I'm not being able to allow people to solve their own problems. So you want to basically spur creativity in other people and figure out what they do Absolutely. with it. Cool. Yeah. I have a last question, and this is about the name Aztec. Yes. Where did you come up with that? To be honest, it wasn't really intended to be the name of, <laughs> of our privacy technology. It wasn't our name of our company. Um, but we needed a name for this thing. Um, basically, I had the, the, the Zero Knowledge Tech, it needed a name. And so originally I came up with Zap, uh, Zero Knowledge Anonymous, was it Proof or Protocol? Um, but then I found that Zap was actually like a company operating on Ethereum. So I couldn't call it Zap. And so I thought, well, I need a name, I need an acronym, you know. So I come from. Um, particle physics, um, uh, an experimental particle physics. And if there's one thing physicists are great for, uh, it's it's coming up with obscure weird acronyms. Um, and so ASIC stands for Anonymous Zero Knowledge Transactions with Efficient Communication. Some of those letters are silent. Nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, and so I came up with the name because we needed a name and it, it kind of rolled us off, off the tongue and the rest of the team liked it. And so we, we decided to, yeah, it was the ASIC protocol and we rolled with it. It's pretty cool. Um, I think it's good. So to wrap up, where can people find out more about the protocol, the research, papers that are interesting? Like, how do I learn about this stuff? 
the majority of our activity is on our um, mono repo, our Aztec GitHub repository. So github.com forward slash uh, Aztec protocol. Um, we also have a Medium publication, which describes uh, in high-level terms what on earth we're doing and why we're doing it. Um, and those are really the, the two main go-to sources. Uh, our paper is on, in our monorepo, um, which describes the fundamental, like the fundamental Aztec tech. Um, we are going to yeah, be adding a lot more papers to that. We, so we, we, have, we have a few papers in our kind of the final, final stages that we, we're going we're gonna to throw out there, for example, about Trusted Seven. Uh, but that's where, we, that's where all the activity is. You mentioned that you'd taken this paper to Jens Groth. Do you peer review papers in general, or is it like do you do you just publish what you have? So, um, like the, the only paper was public at the moment is the original protocol paper, which was um, like uh, created with extensive feedback from Jens Groth. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we, we we wouldn't we wouldn't we wouldn't put anything in public domain if it hadn't been if it hadn't been peer reviewed by by um, an, an academic cryptographer. Uh, for sure cool well thank you very much for being on the show thank you very much it's been an absolute pleasure thanks for inviting me for sure and to our listeners thanks for listening thanks for listening thanks for listening